Good morning, everyone, and welcome today, all of you who are here in person. We also want to thank everyone who joined us online, locally or from up in Haida Gwaii. We're glad you're here. For those of you who don't know me or we haven't met personally, I think many of you know me, but many may not. My name is Patrick. I'm married to my beautiful wife, Cami, for 27 years. We have one daughter named Leah, who reminds me often of how close she's getting to driving a car. So soon I will have my own personal chauffeur where I will just sit on the side and get out when I arrive at my destination. What some of you may not know is I went to school with Pastor Mark at Summit. And he was an off-campus student. I was an on-campus student. And so our, cro- our paths didn't cross too often because as soon as that last class was done, he was in his car and down the hill heading home. But what I remember from Mark is he still used lots of hair product, and so that doesn't change. I say that because I love him. So in the last number of weeks, we have been looking at a series of events through Scripture in the Gospels where Jesus performed a healing. And we've been focusing on these Scriptures Because when we see the healings, we see that it reveals Christ's power, his divinity, his compassion, and his loving character. And he doesn't just heal physically, but he he heals us spiritually. And so as we look at this next passage of Scripture, we're going to look at a few things. So... In each of the different healings, there were generally three groups of people. You had the religious leaders who were there to uphold the rules. They would model the rules. They would make up the rules. They were the gatekeepers. They were the holders of power. Then you had the crowd. Those that were kind of there, they were witnessing, they were observing, but they were just kind of there to see what was going to happen. Then you had those that were authentic. Maybe they didn't have it all together, but they were doing what they could to pursue Jesus. Now, it's easy for us to maybe associate with one of those three groups. Maybe we're just the observer. Maybe we are the person who's really pursuing Jesus because we need something. But maybe we're like the religious leader. And In all the examples, the religious leaders were kind of like the bad guys. But it's so easy to slide into that category because all you had to do was follow the rules. If you knew what the rules were, you just kind of followed them or pretended you followed them, everybody would think that you were okay. And sometimes we pretend, but we're hollow on the inside. And if we know the rules and we enforce the rules then maybe people don't ask questions of us. Being authentic means we're actually doing it. And my prayer as I was preparing for this was that the Holy Spirit would speak to our hearts. That maybe there's something that's said today that just really impacts your heart. Something that you think, God, I want to work on this. Or maybe it's something that as you're taking your own notes or as you're reading, something jumps up, well, then take that. 
Because I know sometimes the Holy Spirit brings something out that's said or something completely, totally different because maybe you've tuned me out. But that's okay because God knows what he's doing. But being authentic means you're actually really doing it. Let me give you an example. We've all watched sports. Uh, in the Olympics, I enjoyed watching diving. And not diving from the, the three-meter platform or the five-meter platform, but up at the 10-meter platform, they're standing there. And you see the flag flying because it's really windy, and they're standing on their tippy toes at the end. And they jump off. They do a bunch of spins, five, six tuck somersaults, and then they extend forward, and they dive right into the water, and it just... You hear the sound of the rippling of water, some gurgling coming to the surface. No splash at all. Perfect dive. Then the next person goes up, and they do three twists and two somersaults, and they hit the water, and there's a huge splash. And we know immediately, that was a bad dive. They overextended. They didn't pull out in time, and, or they under-rotated, and there's a big splash. And we know why there was a big splash. Because we've watched it so many times. But if you've ever been diving before, see, I've dived, I've dove off the one meter platform, I've done the or one meter diving board, the three meter diving board. I've climbed up to a five meter, I've climbed up to the seven meter. Now at seven meter, I just jump off, head feet first, looking down to see where the water's gonna come. And well, that's dumb because your arms get slapped, you get water up your nose, and no technique. So the authentic person is the one who's actually doing it. My wife has always wanted to dance, be able to dance. She's talked to me for years and years. We should go dancing. We should learn how to dance. So this last fall, I signed us up for ballroom dancing. And I always figured whatever I put my mind to, I can be good at it. And we learned the waltz. And... and and how to do the steps. And in my mind, I'm counting one, two, three, one, two, three. And I have a mental image in my head of where I'm going to walk. And, and so after I've done this for a few weeks, I told myself, I need to get better. And whenever I would take my dog for the walk, I would practice. And my dog would sometimes stop and just bark at me like, hey, we're on a walk. Stop your dancing. <laughs> but I thought, I just need to get over myself. I need to... You know, loosen up in the hips a little bit and just kind of get into the flow of the music. And so in my mind, I thought, okay, the next time we go, I'm going to float across this floor. I'm going to maybe have some Latin flair in some of our dances. I'm going to be a great dancer. And so as I'm out there, I'm preparing, I'm moving around the ballroom dance floor. And as we come around the corner, we have the whole wall of mirrors. I was quite excited about the wall of mirrors so I could now see how in sync we were and how good I looked as I kind of stepped out of my own fears. And as I could see myself, I could see, well, our feet are moving good. And, but who's that stiff guy? Like, I thought I was moving and floating, but I looked more like I was kind of stiffly stomping across the dance floor. So if there were judges there, I would have got really poor marks. However, I was doing it. I was trying to, trying to become good at something that my wife enjoyed as well. So in each of the healings that we saw, we 
there were individuals who were actively pursuing Jesus. And if we quickly look at some of the different examples we gave, the first one, Pastor Carolee mentioned that four friends dropped this paralyzed man down through the roof of a house, hoping that maybe Jesus would have pity on him and heal him. They didn't have great faith. Pastor Carolee mentioned that they had fumbling faith. Well, let's just see what happens. And Jesus saw this paralyzed man and forgave his sins and then healed him. The religious leaders, of course, were not happy. Who can forgive sins? That's not right. Yes, he healed somebody, but he can't forgive sins. It broke their paradigm of what it should look like. Then Pastor Mark was talking in John chapter 9 that the religious leaders were upset because Jesus healed a blind man by taking some soil and some spit and kneading it to make a paste to put in their eyes, in his eyes, and then he was healed. He broke the law of the Sabbath, which was you're not supposed to do any work. And kneading, they determined, was work. They were blinded by the kingdom that they were building, these religious leaders, that they missed the king. Then we had the woman who had chronic bleeding, and she thought, well, maybe, maybe I could just go, if I just touch his clothes, maybe I'll be healed. Maybe, I don't know, let's try. She would have been declared unclean because of the blood, but, you know, she doesn't care about breaking some of those rules. I just need to get to Jesus. And so she touches him, and she is healed, and Jesus pauses and points her out and says, your faith has healed you. He took time to let her know that he loved her. He accepted her. She was worth the time to be identified. Sometimes the traditions, the rules, get in the way of caring for people. Sometimes they're just not rules, but we just we don't even know how they started. You know, many churches now, they serve coffee beforehand. And if you've been here a while, you know, you can go to the side and grab a cup of coffee if you come early. There was a time you would never drink coffee before church. And you would never bring a cup of anything inside the sanctuary because what if you spilled and it's not respectful. And, and yet they were just rules of the house. Today I want to look at Luke chapter 22, verse 47 to 53. And this one's interesting because... Jesus shows compassion and love to a group of people who purposely came and their intention was evil. Jesus shows compassion and love. So you can follow along, Luke chapter 22, starting in verse 47. While he was still speaking, a crowd came up. And the man who was called Judas, one of the twelve, was leading them. He approached Jesus to kiss him, but Jesus asked him, Judas, are you betraying the Son of Man with a kiss? When Jesus' followers saw what was going to happen, they said, Lord, should we strike with our swords? One of them struck the servants of the high priest, cutting off his right ear. But Jesus answered, no more of this. He touched the man's ears, ear, 
and healed him. Then Jesus said to the chief priests, the officers of the temple, and the elders who had come for him, Am I leading a rebellion? That you have come with swords and clubs. Every day I was with you in the temple courts, and you did not lay a hand on me. But this is your hour when darkness reigns. This is remarkable. Jesus, in the last few days before he's going to be crucified on the cross, based on commentaries, armed with swords and clubs and torches, a band of about 200 soldiers, temple guards, arrived in Gethsemane, led by Judas. But before being bound and taken away, Jesus would perform one last act of healing. So as this is happening, one of the Lord's disciples, which John tells us is Simon Peter, he pulls out the sword from his chief, and he swings away. And he cuts off the right ear of the servant of the high priest. His name was Malchus. Now, I don't think Peter took his sword and found out what the nose was, looked three inches to the right, and thought, I'm going to teach him to a lesson. I'm going to cut off his ear. I think he was going for the head. He just missed. And Jesus says, stop this. And he had told his disciples many times, this is what was going to happen. This is my road. This is my journey. So he heals Malchus's ear. Not only was it a healing, but he also made him clean again. Because Malchus, with, this, with blood, he would be declared unclean. He wouldn't be able to go into the temple and do his duties. Jesus made him clean again. So Jesus heals his ear. It's interesting that sometimes we are so persuaded to see Christianity as a cause for which we must fight. Maybe we see enemies who threaten us. Maybe we become anxious when perhaps we see perceived evil or evil coming or advancing. But one thing we can remember is this. Christianity has more to do with the great work of grace in our hearts on the inside than it does with something to be fought outside. Now, there are, there are examples in Scripture where Jesus showed anger, where Jesus flipped tables, where Jesus would condemn people. But it was always in terms of defending someone who couldn't defend themselves or providing a way for someone who didn't have the ability to worship. But that's another sermon. In this one, I want to talk about what does it mean to forgive or to receive forgiveness, to not fight, especially if someone's coming or doing something that's just so hurtful. And they had no good intentions in doing it. Why is it hard to forgive? Well, it can be easy. We can just say, hey, I, I forgive you. We can say the words. But unless we actually do the authentic work of forgiveness, they're just words that are spoken. And maybe it's hard to forgive because it's cut so deeply. 
Maybe we don't want to have this relationship restored. Maybe we feel that if we forgive, we're letting them off the hook. And yet one of the big things regarding forgiveness, when you forgive, you release yourself from anger, revenge, and self-pity. There was somebody that I was really angry with. Something that had been done and hurt me, our family, an extended family. And I was consumed with anger. I may have said, I forgive this person. But I thought about this person all the time. And if I was walking in a grocery store and I saw the back of a person that looked like this person, I would go down another aisle and everything is stirred up inside again. The anger of what had been done. This person may not even know how I felt. This person may not even know that I was angry or that what they did had hurt so deeply. So then I thought, well, let's do the hard work of forgiveness. And I had been told, if you really want to forgive someone, you forgive them. Pray for them. And that just seems so simple. It could also feel really unauthentic. But I said, okay, I'm going to do this. I'm going to experiment with this to see if it really works. And at this time, it wasn't appropriate to have a face-to-face conversation. There had been time that had passed. Our paths weren't crossing anymore. So in my time of devotions, I said, Lord, I forgive this person who I am just consumed with anger for. I forgive them for what they've done. I did it. And I would then take the next several days, few weeks, to pray for this person. Now, I didn't pray a lot. I probably prayed a sentence, maybe two, maybe three, because it felt like when I was praying for them, I was lying. I didn't want to lie. So I would pray, Lord... I'm praying for this person again. God, I ask that you would, you would bless them today. But God, I know you are all powerful, you're all knowing, and if you see fit to do something else, then you just go ahead and do that. And I prayed that way for a while, so then it didn't feel like I was lying. God bless them, but you don't have to. It's up to you. And then as the days went on, then my prayers changed a little bit. Maybe I was praying for this person, and I'd say, bless them, and I said, Lord, maybe, maybe they were carrying hurt too. Maybe they were carrying some kind of shame or anger, and maybe that's why they lashed out. God, maybe, God, can you just begin a work of healing in that person's heart? And the next day, as I prayed, I said, God, maybe they're lonely. God, can you send some alongside to kind of walk with them and maybe walk them to healing? And, and somewhere along the way, in the journey, probably a couple of weeks, few weeks in, a lot of that anger and resentment had kind of fallen off to the point where if I would see this person again, all these angers wouldn't come up again. A healing work had happened in my heart as I did the hard work of forgiveness. It's not just a spoken word. It's actively going beyond that. 
So that's forgiving. But what about receiving forgiveness? Sometimes that's harder. Sometimes, you know, if someone forgives you, you feel like, okay, well, I've been forgiven, but until I at least suffer a little bit, I can feel some pain and hurt, then I can be forgiven. Then I will accept the forgiveness. Maybe we can't forgive ourselves. Jesus extends his forgiveness to us. Sometimes it's easy to walk into it, and other times we really have to say, God, I, I accept this forgiveness. We're in a relationship, I accept the forgiveness. We don't have to walk under the weight of it. I don't know why we choose to do that sometimes. I think it's because we feel guilty that we have been forgiven. My heart for us today is that God restores relationships. Sometimes that can be so hard. I mean, in this example, here are a group of people who come and have full intention to do something evil. And Jesus displays compassion. He provides a healing. He forgives them. Forgiveness is hard. Receiving forgiveness can be hard. So will you be the religious who feel like, you know, I just, I'm not going to receive the forgiveness yet. I need to do some penance. I need to do, I need to feel the, you know, all this pain. Or will you embrace the forgiveness? Will you forgive someone? Sometimes one of the hardest things is going to ask for forgiveness. Hey, remember that last conversation we had? I was out of line, and I'm really sorry. Sometimes we think, well, if nothing gets said, let's bury it a little bit. We'll just continue on, and we'll just pretend things are good. But that's not what a restored relationship looks like. Holy Spirit empowers us to do things that we can't do on our own. And if you have a relationship that's unrestored... Say, God, help me. Give me strength to do something that I can't physically do because I just can't. And then walk the process and ask God to heal you with that. Now, there are boundaries in place, and sometimes it's not appropriate to have a face-to-face -face conversation because of safety things. Or, but you can still forgive. You can still pray and, and try that. Sometimes it is appropriate to have a face-to-face -face conversation. Start the conversation and say, God, help me in this. And maybe it's not, maybe you're not perfect, but you can step into it. Just like we've seen in all the other examples, that there were individuals who were authentic and said, I'm gonna, I gotta try. I don't know how it's gonna go. I don't know if things will be restored or reconciled, but I gotta try. Maybe I look dumb or silly, but I don't care because I don't want to feel this way on the inside. Maybe God restores a relationship that you had no idea could be restored in this beautiful way. Maybe God removes the pain and the anger that's consumed us. 
If there is someone that you have an unrestored relationship, you've probably already been thinking about it. And as we pray, just offer that person up to the Lord. Or maybe you've been someone who you know you need to go and ask for forgiveness. You're probably already thinking about that person. And as we pray, ask Holy Spirit to give you the courage to take the next step that is right for you to take. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for your word. And it's a difficult word of compassion and love towards someone who came with intentions of hurt and wrongdoing and evil. And yet you still showed compassion and love. Lord, if there are people in our lives that we have unrestored relationships with, people that we need to forgive, people that we need to ask for forgiveness from, Lord, I ask that you would give us a boldness and a strength to engage in a conversation that can bring about a beautiful healing and restoration. And Lord, maybe we'll be completely blown away with the miraculous healing that you can provide. Help us not be on the sidelines simply observing. And help us not be caught up in the rigidness that keeps us from receiving what you want us to do. But Lord, help us to be authentic with the things that you lay in our heart to do. Amen. God bless you today. See you next week.